This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. Hello, this is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I am Jacqueline Berto, who's the new Bridge Farm marketing guru. And I'm Stephen Bowden, who at the moment is very much with Ian on kitchen planning. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are, of course, our promo stands this week. Now, welcome to Dumpty Dum. This is a show about our favourite country village. Well, maybe my second favourite. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Avin Shah. I haven't heard of him before, Stephen. I think it's his first week writing. Ooh, good week for him. Yes, it didn't show that he was new or different or anything. It was no. uh, probably a good week. Very good. Seamless. This week we have 10 calls from formerly cycling Christine, who's incensed by the Grundies. Claire from Calapham, who also has thoughts about Oliver and his unruly tenants. Pip from Thornton Heath, who thinks one villager should have their own starring role in a storyline. Richard Biffo Prop, who would like to offer a potentially unpopular view. Our Glyn, who thinks the world is better when joy is around. Paul, who is also unhappy with the Grundies. Jen, who, lest we forget, does not like Helen. Witherspoon, who's opened up his mobile office in Ambridge. Tracy from California, who has a good line in parenting advice. And finally Catherine, who wants to talk about sons and lovers and missing story endings. And plus we have The Week in Ambridge from our Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by Ben... And three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold from Theo. But before Steve and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what's happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Sui. Hello lovely people, it's Sui here, Queen of Tart on the Twitters and of course on Blue Sky. And it's time for a quick reminder of what's happened this week in Ambridge. I'm going out on a limb here to say that I don't believe that any of you good Dundee Dummers will have managed to get through this week without shouting at the radio quite a lot. Chief shouties were Eddie and Ed, utterly selfish gits. I really want Oliver to say, screw you both, I'm going to sell the farm completely. How very dare they make him want to move out? I was very pleased with Emma for trying to right the wrongs they did. She is her mother's daughter. 
Oh, and let's not be surprised that the fireworks weren't silent. Did anyone really think that Terry T-Phones would come up Trump's? Kenton did a lot of shouting at Eddie, and I think we were all behind him. He did apparently get rid of a lot of brambles in the bonfire, so there's a bonus. Next shouties were Lillian and Jill withdrawing their support from the church. I thought better of both of them. Tracy, well, she got an exasperated sigh rather than a shout over pushing Jazza to take a totally unsuitable role in the office rather than out in the fields with his beloved pigs. It was torturous listening to him try and wrangle a spreadsheet or three and worrying about his KPIs and his tabs. But as predicted, Hannah is going to move in with Stella and it's all turned out all right. Tracy and Usha have a heart-to-heart over their respective husbands' career blues. There's going to be some sort of Christmas cheer arranged to get things at St. Stephen's back on track. Oh dear. Joy has turned into one-woman Sasha taught robot factory manufacturing machine. She's stocking up Helen's freezer. She's going to have to force-feed anyone who passes through the house with a slab of Sasha taught. Almost worth going round there. Jack really wants to meet his dad while he's still alive. Henry does not want that to happen. Jack wrote a letter to Rob, which was mostly about football and asking him to go and see a match. If she doesn't let him go, this is going to come back to bite her on the posterior. Whatever happens, it's going to take a lot of effort and some serious therapy sessions for all three of the family. It's a shame nobody's arranged any of them. I did a bunch of totting as well as shouting, but that's pretty much normal. Anyway, till next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Lovely. Thank you for that, Siri. Very good roundup. So, Stephen, what have you been up to this week? This week, I've mostly been trying to avoid all the people in the house who are redoing my kitchen. This is the end of week one of, I think, a five-week kitchen replacement program. And they've ripped out everything from the old kitchen. They've drilled 27 holes in the ceiling to get the electrics in and then patched them up again. There's been some plumbers in there and it's been plastered again. It's all very tidy. And then next week, it's all plastering and painting. And then the week after that, the kitchen starts arriving. And I think that's going to take two, three weeks to install properly and up and running. And then they just need to finish off. And then I will be able to start baking even better than I used to be able to bake. Uh, How lovely. Now, the all important question, how's Tangle coping? Tangle is coping a lot better than I thought. I was expecting to find her hiding under the bed, which is where she goes when she's really stressed every time when I got home from work. But actually, she has wandered out and said hello. She seems to be pretty relaxed about it. So I guess when they're here, the guys doing the work are treating her well or at least not (laughs) making too much noise and not traumatising her too badly. So that is the one thing that's going better than it otherwise might. But at the moment, I've got no way of cooking anything and no way of doing any laundry. So I'm going to have to find where the nearest laundrette is and I'll continue my tour of all the takeout restaurants in Cheltenham. Oh, fantastic. And I guess you're not able to take a bath because it's full of kitchen equipment, is it? The bath is full of kitchen equipment. <laughs> Luckily, I have an ensuite shower, so I, I can keep myself clean, which <laughs> my colleagues at work, I'm sure, are pleased about if they know. Anyway, that's enough my week. What about yours? My trip back from the UK last week was dramatic, to say the least, mid-storm. And in fact, the greenness of it is probably best ignored. But today is a very important day for us in our village. So we're not recording particularly early, but I'm dressed up for once and not in my uh, normal scruffy jeans and T-shirt. And we're going off to, it's Armistice Day. And in France, it's a bank holiday, a jour férié. So everything's closed and the ceremonies are quite big, even in small villages. But it's also a day of social action. 
So every commune, every village or town has a group of people called the CCAS, which is the Centre Communal d'Action Sociale. And we offer a meal to people who otherwise would be isolated. So as a councillor and as a member of the CCS in this commune, I'm going to be very busy serving uh, meals and eating meals. And the family here are going to have to cope for themselves. So that's my, it's my day off from the family, but it's my day on with the commune today. It's like a, a funny process, but it's quite good fun because they're all, you can only go, you're only invited if either in your very difficult circumstances, handicapped or over 75. Yeah, Mr B Loic is dreading next year because he'll be over 75 and thinks he'll have to go. I, yes, I remember that. And they used to take this all very seriously. On the Paris Metro when I was young, there were signs which said, please give up your seat for the elderly, the pregnant and mutilés de guerre, those yeah. who were injured in the war. And I did always wonder, you're looking at people and thinking, was that any, a war injury or just a regular <laughs> accident? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knocked off your bike yesterday, so you're sitting... In a, a seat on the metro today. Yeah, it's very interesting. But it's a bit like in the States. My son, as a, a UK army veteran, is now living in California. And he's treated like a prince. Plus, he's married to uh, a member of the American army. So they, they have amazing... They're treated so well. And it makes me think that in the UK, I know we, we are much more respectful now, but in the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, Mrs. Day was important if you were part of the town council's scouts, guides and church members, but a lot of people just kind of ignored it. Whereas last week, when I was in every village and town we drove through, between Portsmouth and the north, had poppies and poppies on lampposts and everything. I feel like respect has improved in recent years in in the UK, so... Interesting to know what other people think about that. Anyway, mm. that's not about Ambridge, is it? No. So that's probably about, yeah, we ought to get on to that important bit and listen to some of our calls. Hello, Pusscat. And first up, we have formerly cycling Christine. Greetings, all dumped dummers. This is formerly cycling Christine here. It's been a long while since I called in. I just want to say how incensed I was at the behaviour of Eddie and Ed with regard to Oliver. Had they no concept of what he's done for them over the years? I know they're upset about what might be happening, but goodness me, he's given them his house to live in and he's just there as a lodger. He's let Ed have the field. He's helped them all through goodness knows how many ups and downs and all they can do is gripe. Words fail me as to the way they feel entitled to this and to complain about everything that he wants to do. I'm sure other people will have thoughts on this, but surely they should just be grateful for what he's done for them so far out of the goodness of his heart and recognise that behaving as they do is highly unlikely to endear them to him to want just from their own perspective and self-interest is not likely to make him want to help them in the future. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for that, Christine. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a lot to say on this. And even Sue in her roundup, we could tell that she was been spitting feathers about about that little problem of Eddie and Ed. In fact, I wasn't surprised by Eddie's behaviour, but Ed kind of surprised me because he's often been a much calmer, kinder and more even character than his father. If anybody was going to get up in arms and be very flighty about it, it would have been William. And then by the yesterday, Friday, of course, we had the problem of George joining in, which was just utterly irritating. Emma, she was very good. 
I liked Emma this week. I thought she was actually the voice of reason. So there we go. How did well, how, what did you think about the story? I thought Ed was definitely out of character because he knows how much he owes to Oliver. Oliver yeah. basically set him up in his farming. And while it may be that most of Ed's income comes from the work he does driving tractors and so forth, mostly for home farm, what he cares about most are his taxels. But he knows that he's only got those taxels because of the kindness of Oliver, who started him up. Didn't Oliver start him up with dairy and then that yeah. didn't really work out. So he moved over to the sheep. So I think it didn't feel right for Ed to be like that. And even Eddie, I think, should have been a bit more realistic about you know, the, the balance of, between the extent to which Oliver had been looking after them. We don't know exactly what the terms are. And I think no. we've got another call which goes into or asks about some of that. But if, if anybody, you know, Joe would have been very grumpy about the whole thing. He would have made the point about there having always been Grundy's at Grange Farm or, or whatever. But it was Joe and Eddie between them who lost the farm Indeed. 25 years ago. They were in Meadow Rise. I think they, they moved in over Christmas in 1999 or thereabouts. And surely they shouldn't have forgotten that and that it was their carelessness that their behaviour that lost them the farm, they everything to Oliver. And they should have been more understanding. And it's only an old barn that they're talking about. It's not like he's selling off all 50 acres or anything like that. Though, as I think several people have commented, given the way the Grundys have reacted, it wouldn't be surprising if Oliver did decide to sell off all 50 acres and the farmhouse and yeah. throw them out on their ears again. Yeah, I've got quite a lot more to say about the sale, the land sale, and the sheep on the land, but I think we've got other calls about it, so should we listen to a few more and then I can chip in later? Okay, well, next up is Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. Oh, I don't think two minutes is enough to contain all my thoughts about Oliver and the Grundies and Eddie's kind of misery about the Carters having a house and them not. I mean... Okay, so Oliver has for a long time been the Ambridge Fairy, especially to the Grundy family, and the arrangements around Bates Range Farmer have been a bit of a random mystery. Interestingly enough, I think they had a tenancy, or they had the idea of a tenancy when they were living there and paying rent. Even if they had no formal document, they would have created a tenancy through that. They started paying rent, I think, a while after they moved in. They moved in for free, and then they paid rent later. They had a tenancy. And under that, they would have had to have been given at least two months' notice to move out. So he hasn't got an unencumbered asset to sell anyway. However, Oliver's now moved in with them, which sort of makes them lodgers because it's his house. But again, I don't know if there's any paperwork, but they're sort of creating a lodger arrangement. So that gives them much less security of tenure in the house. In terms of the farmland, I don't understand why they've just been using the land for free. They've got all the land as well as the house. But anyway, I think Ed's who had it easy too long. And I think Emma was right to say, well, where's your exit plan? Where's your business plan? What are you doing? Because absolutely, yeah, they need a, they needed a plan B. And they just host along, don't they, the, the Grundies, by the skin of their teeth. And they don't look forward too far. And it's a cultural thing for them, I think. But yeah, interesting what happens when the Yambridge Ferry runs out of money and turns off the tap. This could be quite seismic for a lot of people involved and the hard for Oliver as well. Bless him, especially while he's still living there. Crikey, that can't be easy. But yeah, look forward to seeing how that pans out. Speak to you soon. Thank you very much for that call, Claire. Claire knows an awful lot more about tenancies and so forth than <laughs> I do. But I do think it's a complicated situation because we don't really know the terms under which either they're living in the house 
or they're farming on the land. Oliver owns 50 acres. He bought 50 acres when Grange Farm was sold. And I think that Ed uses those mostly for the Texels. I'm not sure what other sort of farming goes on there because Grundy's Field is a separate operation. And I think that the turkeys don't take up much room and they're probably mostly in a barn and there'll be a run around that. And then do they pay a reasonable rent on any of that? Because on the one hand, if they do pay a rent, then losing that particular land, putting the Texels onto a home farm or somewhere else, shouldn't be that big a deal. But if they're not paying rent, and it would be a big deal to have to pay rent, well, that just reinforces the whole business of how ungrateful they're being about Mm -hmm. the fact that Oliver is taking a decision to continue to invest in Grey Gables. And it's not a simple matter of just freezing his current level of investment or anything like that. He's going to effectively lose what he's put in, I think, if he doesn't go along with it, because the partners want him to put in a quarter of a million. They're putting in half a million, I think we gathered, this week. Oh, we have the first instance of actually the partners being around because yes. they were at a shoot. But we yeah. never heard anything more about them apart from the fact that they were the partners. But that's going off track slightly. As Claire was saying, they should have, if they're in a proper tenancy, they should have notice periods and so forth. But they're Grundies, so who knows what the arrangements are. Yeah, it's never been clear to us, has it? Now, there's 50 acres that Ed, we presume that it's just Ed using the 50 acres. 50 acres for 100 texels, that's a lot of land for 100 texels. So presumably he's having to move them around, but he must have a cover for them some way. He must have built a shed or something like that. Even texels, who are pretty tough sheep, don't like being out in all the soggy weather all the time because that creates too many other health problems, as I'm sure vets in our community would agree with. But I just think the whole setup with not knowing who's doing what and who's paying what, we assume they're paying a peppercorn rent, but perhaps they're living there for free because Clary prepares food for Oliver, does the cleaning, the washing, etc. A very curious setup that's obviously incensed us all in all different ways this week. Yes. I'm sure we will come back to the Grundies. Yes. But let's move on to our next call, and that comes from Pip. Hello, everyone in Dumpty Dum Land. It's Pip from Swanton Heath here. I hope you're having a lovely week. I'm messaging with a plea this week for the writers on behalf of one of my favourite characters, who I feel is pretty much constantly overlooked in the storylines. And she, in my opinion, is the only one in all of Ambridge that actually has any kind of sense and emotional intelligence and awareness of everybody else's feelings. And she's the only one that actually just comes up with a practical and viable solution for everybody else. And she always feels like she's the sort of B character. She's a supporting role. And she never really gets Any plot lines for herself, anything that is really focused on her, she's not been the centre of attention for many, 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 many years. And I think it's a real shame because the actress is clearly fantastic and the character's brilliant. And I think it's a real shame. I'm wondering if anyone can guess who I'm talking about. She's featured quite a lot this week. For me, it feels glaringly obvious that it's high time that Usha had her own starring role in her own storyline and that everyone else just plays second fiddle to her because quite frankly, she's fantastic and deserves more airtime and something a little bit more challenging and juicy to get her teeth stuck into. 
I know that there must have been some big storylines when she was marrying Alan, but that was got to be 15, 20 years ago now. So high time we heard more from her. That's all. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for calling in, Pip. Yeah. In fact, I guessed you were talking about Usha. I even wrote it down with a question mark when you first started talking. Now, Usha, interesting character because she came in in the early 90s, moved to Ambridge, a country place, and she comes from Birmingham, I think. And her, we had her father and Auntie Satcher and her brother Shiv came. They all really did not want her to be in this country village. They couldn't understand it. And then her first big storyline, Stephen, do you remember, was the racist attacks of which Roy Tucker was involved. And that was around about 1995, 96, I think. Yeah. So that was a very, very big storyline, Pip. Maybe you weren't listening then. I can't remember how long you've been listening. You sound young, though, so you probably can't remember. And then, of course, the story around her marrying Alan was a big storyline. And that was in 2007, 2008, something like that. Of course, a build-on from that story with her was she'd already had a big falling out with Shula over Dr. Richard Locke, who were both who was a lover of both of them. And then, of course, um, Shula went a bit all saintly about the fact that someone not of the Christian faith was marrying the motorbike riding vicar. That was that was an interesting storyline that she had. But yes, she's been very silent. But I think she's been the actress who is I always pronounce these names wrong. Sue say it, Stephen. Ah, yes, that's how you say it. She's been a busy lady. Um, It's been great to hear her back. She is the voice of reason, but also she's someone who doesn't kowtow to the villagers and to Alan's position in the village. She's quite open about saying to him, oh, for goodness sake, this is ridiculous. Talk to the bishop or stop moaning about it. I'm curious about the, the finances of the church and that story that's coming out, but We'll see how that develops. And I agree. I think she could do with a good storyline. She could go and ask Ruth why she doesn't speak to her anymore. The thing about Usher, and you mentioned those storylines, in some ways she wasn't the star of those storylines, even though they were about her. The racist attacks was very much a Roy story, and it was centred on Roy's actions. And she was a victim, but she didn't have much agency in the story. Mm. And then the whole business with... Shula, again, it was really, it, it was portrayed very much in terms of Shula in dispute with Alan, Shula being upset about the statue of Shiva, I think it was, in the mm-hmm. vicarage, and all of that. And, and I always felt that Usha was, again, a sort of antagonist, not even an antagonist, Shula was the person, Usha was the person to whom the story happened, but it wasn't really about her. So I think that Pip has a point about her not really getting stories of her own. She yeah. is always a sort of secondary character in somebody else's story. Yes, I mean, Suad Fares has been incredibly busy recently. She's got a, almost has a, a monopoly on strange crone-like figures because she played one of the Bene Gesserit sisters in Dune. She played some sort of similar thing in Game of Thrones. She was a crone in the, the Sandman series on, on television recently. I do remember not that long ago seeing her slightly bizarrely in, I think it was an old episode of Vera, where she was playing a lawyer, which made no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I seem to remember in a very old Morse as well. But anyway, but she's a busy woman and apparently she's been writing a lot in recent years. So interesting, but good to have her back at the moment. So yeah, let's hear more from her. Yes, indeed. Next up, we have Richard. And that's not Clint talking Richard. This is Biffo Prop Richard. Hello, everybody. 
It's Richard Beveridge here, Biffo Prop on the Twitters, calling in after Wednesday's episode. I'm going to present an unpopular view. I think Helen should allow Jack to meet his father, supervised under medical and legal conditions, so nothing can go untoward or awry. I think if she doesn't, she may be storing up great trouble and resentment ahead. It's clear from recent episodes she's not able to cope. I think there's zero chance of her being able to cope any better if both of those boys behave like Henry has in recent weeks. I also think that the chance that for Jack to meet Rob before Rob dies would set aside any prospect of hearing and believing rumours and other idle talk from elsewhere. There may very well be a million reasons why not clearly articulated by far smarter people than I, but it's probably the conversation prompted by my own father's anniversary this weekend. After they're gone, they're gone. I wonder if this may, for Helen, be time well invested for the future and to set problems aside. After all, as the sage of Ambridge, Emma Grundy says, don't any of you think ahead. Hope you're all well. Fond regards to everyone in Dumpty Dum land, especially Philip as bad. Tickety-tock. And tickety-tunk to you, Richard. Thank you very much for that call. And you mentioned that it's coming up to the anniversary of your father's death, and it's about a month away from the anniversary of my father's death. And as you say, once they're gone, they're gone. I was very much in two minds about whether it made sense for Jack to to be allowed to see Rob. I certainly didn't think that Rob had a right to demand it, because from a child protection perspective, it's the interest of the children that always matters, and, and Rob has no rights in this. But then seeing what Jack is doing, writing in the exercise book and so forth, I think that that all happened after Richard's call. It's clear he is developing an idea in his head about his father that is very different from from the reality. And I think perhaps if he were exposed to the reality that is Rob, I think it's highly likely that Rob will get a bit unhinged, not just because his mental health is deteriorating as a result of the tumour, but just because he's Rob. And it might well be that having a picture of the real Rob in his head will make Jack realise that actually it's not the fairy tale missing father that's going to make everything better, taken to see Aston Villa, all that sort of stuff. But actually his father really was a monster. And even though the sickness may exacerbate aspects of that, underneath it all, underneath that pain, underneath that illness, there still lies a monster. Yeah, and in fact, with the the breakdown that he had on the traffic island last weekend, we heard his his mental capacity is slipping, maybe. I was quite surprised that he wasn't taken to A&E to be checked out then, but one of those weird and wonderful ends of storylines who was shipped back off to Miles. But I think I'm very torn about it because, yes, I feel like Helen should be being more proactive with Jack to be talking about. She's one that closes down, isn't she? We hear her being very silent with the children and hiding things and keeping things to herself. Now, if she talked to Henry and Jack at the same time, rather than Henry saying, no, no, he mustn't because he's a monster, I need to protect Jack, that might, if she she brought Henry in, he could actually tell Jack in his own terms, in the brotherly terms that Actually, you can't believe a word he says. Yeah, go and let's go and see him. But I know we get a call about this later on, about who should be there when he meets. But yeah, for Jack not to build it up as a massive, massive black thing. Yeah, he should be allowed to see his dad, but very definitely in child protection terms. Yeah, as you say, we've got another call which talks about 
the modalities of, of such a visit. Yeah. So we'll get on to later. Now, let's hear from Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here, calling in on a bright and sunny but cold Friday afternoon. Well, what's caught my ear this week in the Archers? It's been the week of Ghastly Grundies and Jittery Jack. On the Ghastly Grundies and their row with Oliver, I think my views on the Grundies are not favourable and well known. During the row, though, Ed asked Oliver why Oliver was continuing to throw money at Grey Gables and wouldn't he be better off cutting his losses and exiting the business. Asked by another person at another time, I think that would have been a perfectly reasonable question. And I do hope we hear a little more about why Oliver is going to stay committed to that business. And I hope it's not just an emotional attachment because Grey Gables was all about Caroline back in the day. Jittery Jack, well, not surprising given what Helen did. I had a go at Helen a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to say any more about that. Good to see Joy being a friend to Helen and trying to help her through this. The world is always better, or the Ambridge world is always better when Joy is around. I think that's enough from me for this week. So thank you to the hosts of the podcast and to everybody in Dumpty Dumland. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye. Thank you, Glyn. I'm going to start with Joy. It has been a joy to hear Joy this week. Was it last week she was talking to Alan? I can't remember. So with Alan last week and talking about how the conditions in the church and the firework display and things like that, but this week being neighbourly, I know that everybody's making a joke about the sacrotot and how many she's making and everything, but maybe that's Joy's way of going through the door, offering something to have conversation. And Helen needs someone like her. She offered to look after those boys instantly because Helen was looking stressed and Helen could go out and have time to herself. I find Joy a very kindly and very great character to have in and around Helen at this time. It's a good contrast for her to have someone, someone who isn't as invested in Helen's life as Kirsty or her parents. Yes, though I think Kirsty is, is a good person to have around as well. She's so much more balanced and grounded than Helen. And because she is much closer to Helen's age than Joy is, I think that she can see things in the same way as Helen and is just in many ways a, a more sensible version yeah. of the sort of person there and is therefore a good foil for Helen in a way. Yeah. That, whereas Joy, I think, is more of a sort of maternal figure. So she's a sort of contrast to Pat almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I think Jen talks later in the program about Kirsty, mentions Kirsty and Helen's friendship. I've got a lot to say on that. So let's leave it until a bit later. <laughs> so those are our first five calls, but uh, we've got quite a few more to come and we'll hear them very soon. Now, if you'd like to become a caller in or like Christine and the others, you would be more than welcome. Then there are three ways you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum. And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a text message via WhatsApp on 07810 or plus 44 and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your calls to a maximum of two minutes or they will get cut off. 
on SpeakPipe. And finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. Again, a maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumtydum at mail.com. And do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. So you don't need to worry about writing all that down because we've provided the links to those ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Olive and June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at oliveandjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at oliveandjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Now, should we get back to those calls? Yes, next up is Paul from Olney. Hello, everybody. This is Paul and Olney. I've just managed to call in having listened to the Friday episode for once. I think I'm going to leave others to talk about the Helen, Rob, Jack, Henry situation, but other than say, it seems to be that Helen's making a, another wrong decision. I, might. I want to talk about the Grundys. I'm very much on the side that, yes, they've been kind to Oliver when he was recovering from the Grey Gables fiasco with the explosion. But the reason they're renting from him is that they, particularly Eddie, mismanaged the farm. The rent that they're paying to Oliver is a peppercorn, allowing them to continue to live on what's his house, farm, his land, is very much up to him. It's very much a favour to them. He doesn't owe them anything anymore. And the way that Eddie and Ed and today George have been reacting to that situation is frankly wrong. I was very disappointed to hear Eddie tonight say to George, oh, you're a proper grandee, as if that's something to be proud of. I think the only member of that family who's shown any moral fiber is Emma, showing yet again that in the Ambridge hierarchy, Carters are better than grandees. The corollary to that was always grandees are better than Horribins, but I'm not so sure that that holds anymore. Anyway, have a good weekend. We'll see what transpires next week. Thank you so much for that call, Paul. Yes, obviously we've talked already about various aspects of the Grundys, but we haven't said that much about George and his behaviour. In the earlier part of the week and in recent weeks, we've thought we've been seeing a much nicer, kinder, better George. He's been really pulling his weight at 
Bridge Farm, helping Helen, volunteering to take responsibility, staying late, doing extra work and so forth. But when it comes to Grange Farm, he's as vile as he's ever been, emptying out very stale water from a bowser onto the land around the dilapidated barn that Eddie uses for his nefarious activities in a bizarre attempt to try and persuade Martin Gibson, who, as George noted, is somebody who has a high opinion of George, who knows why, trying to persuade him that the ground is waterlogged, even though any purchase would involve, I'm sure, a look at drainage and so forth, and it would quickly turn out that it was probably quite well-drained land, otherwise they would never have built on it. So that was just George being the unpleasant, evil, selfish, devious young man that he was until this recent apparent turning over of a new leaf. So, yes, I'm really not impressed by the Grundys and Paul is joining the kicking that they're getting. Yes, I have to say that I think Avin Shah, the writer, as we said, was we think is a new writer this week. He's definitely gone back to writing George as being slightly evil around the edges. Now, there was an exchange when Helen had to go off and pick Jack up from school because he was sick with Emma and George was there and she told, Helen told George to take charge of the shop and about the keys and locking up. I just think that's one of those little hints of something that it might be nothing, but it might be something that's going to go wrong with giving George that trust because I don't trust him. The trust to have the keys to a shop, the till, hmm, you know, so we'll watch this space, but I'm very suspicious of George. Nothing's convinced me yet that he's, he's turned a new leaf. No, I think he just knows what's good for him in the short term, that if he sucks up to Helen, sucks up to Bridge Farm, it will be advantageous to him in the long run. But I, I'm still convinced yeah. that he only really thinks about himself when it comes to helping people and working with other people. Do you think in 30 years' time we'll be sitting here on a Saturday morning, Stephen, saying, we've got it all wrong? No, I don't. I, I think that, that in 30 years' time, George will be roughly where Eddie was 10, 15 years ago. I think he will be a nasty, good-for-nothing Grundy. And, and as Paul says, the Grundys will probably be comfortably below the Horribins in the pecking order. Yeah. It was Clive Horribin's birthday a couple of days ago, by the way. Good gracious, you are a font of such knowledge. Nobody mentioned it. 9th of November is Clive Horribin's birthday. I couldn't tell you how old he is. Younger yeah, than Susan, older than Tracy. There we go. Next up is <laughs> Jen. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. Jen here. Ah, isn't Helen a tonic? Yeah, we're all feeling the warm and fuzzies this week from her. Yeah. And we got to talk about some really important stuff, like cheese marketing. That's what we all listen to the Archers for. Well, I had an idea, and I think this could really work. There's no publicity that's not good publicity, and Helen's missing a whole angle here. So what I thought was, they get the Borsetshire blue, and they serve it in like little chunks, dabbed through with a cheese knife. And then the cheddar, they could get some nice paper, and they could have it all printed up, waxed paper, printed up with, you know, maybe some of the newspapers from the time, and call it Dabby Gold. Tuna bake, ready meals, yeah, that could be another range for them. Got to work your angle. So, yeah, let's hope that uh, Tom and Natasha get involved here and we start getting some benefits out of this. And then it also helps Jack and Henry because it discusses their origin story and then they can understand all about just how horrible Rob was. So horrible that their mother stabbed him. Yes. She has a difficult story to tell those boys in all seriousness. Would she ever 
consider picking up the phone to someone like maybe a, a social worker or a psychotherapist or even our very own Witherspoon, because my goodness, that conversation needs to be had. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jen. Yeah, I think Jen's lost the plot a bit, really, but no. No, she's a very good. You should get a job as a scriptwriter, Jen, because that's the way to go, isn't it? Make the most of any publicity. And I'm sure Natasha would. Tuna bake ready meals, yes, definitely, with Rob Titchener's face even on them. Quite a good bit of advertising, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a sad story. And yeah, Helen is not, has not been joyful this week. And her treatment and what she said to Kirsty in Friday's episode is absolutely despicable. Why? Does Kirsty stick to Helen's side? I don't understand it. I think she treats her, Helen treats her very, very badly as a friend. Very disappointed in Helen's treatment of her. And I, it just infuriates me. It's the one thing, just bad enough the Grundy's treating Oliver as badly as they did this week, speaking to him as he did. But Helen, I just can't forgive her. She's just not a friend. No, and Kirsty is just incredibly loyal. She's loyal to everybody. She tolerated unbelievable behavior from tom far too often absolutely and yeah i think she's just too nice too she ends up being a bit of a doormat and she's never really found happiness obviously she thought she had with philip the Baden but, Phil. uh, yeah it, it didn't work out but yeah i i don't know why she puts up with helen but then i don't know why anybody puts up with helen to be honest i don't know what lee saw in in that i think he's probably best off gone in many ways because <laughs> till she sorts herself out and it's not just her own problems it, this all goes back a very long way that i think this all goes back to the way that the family failed to cope properly with the death of john and that everything flowing from mm. there has, has been a result of that because as you know we don't get through a month without pat making some remark about john and that must weigh mm. so heavily on Tom and Helen, who have basically been given this feeling that their stewardship of Bridge Farm is almost there, there because John isn't there and they've got to do it for John. And John mm. has been dead for longer now, I think, than they, they've, it was so long ago, they, they've had more of a life after John than before. And yet it still dominates yeah. everything. I, I just think. Yeah. I think what, uh, as Jen said, getting help. Helen doesn't want to turn to professionals, it, it would appear. And yes, oh, Witherspoon is always at hand to help, isn't he? And here he is now. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here cleaning up our mobile office in Ambridge, waiting for new and returning patients. Step right up, Jazzer. Actually, it seems like you worked through your anxiety without me, but feel free to pet Angus anyway. You know, years ago, I would refer to you as the court jester of the village. Never thought you would settle down with anyone. Well, you've done a lot of growing up. This week, you recognize that your work should make you happy and fulfilled, and there's nothing wrong with doing what you're good at. At a certain point in your life, you can stop doing what you think others want you to do, and you can stop at whatever rung on the career ladder you want to. Bonus, you're married to a good person and have become a good husband and stepfather. I salute you. Ah, a brief break before I see Helen, and she's bringing in Jack. Will he actually speak? I think I will give Helen some direct advice. Yes, I think Jack should be allowed to see Rob, because he will hold it against Helen forever and a day if she doesn't allow it. 
Rob is Jack's biological father, even though he's a louse, and there's a natural, strong curiosity to meet him. But, 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 Jack must be accompanied by an adult who can immediately intervene if Rob starts spinning his yarns. Not Helen. I would insist that maybe it's Tony. Even if Tony doesn't agree, he should do it to help his grandson. Didn't Tony do that years ago? Of course, Tony has to keep his cool and not wallop Rob. Just thinking, an alternative. Maybe Kirsty, would she agree to it? The meeting should not be overly long. They should not be allowed to go anywhere. And maybe there would be one follow-up visit. All this should be worked out ahead of time with the assistance of a lawyer. Speaking of time, ours is up. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call, Witherspoon. Lots of sensible advice there. While you were talking about somebody accompanying Jack, my first thought was Kirsty. As we've just discussed, she is incredibly loyal. I think she'd be extremely good at that, but I don't think that she should have to. I don't think that they really should imp- impose on her that much. I, just before saying anything else, I wanted to go back to the point about Jazza and Hannah. We haven't had any other calls that mention Jazza and Hannah, but I think that that was probably the right answer. I think that was a way of demonstrating that, yeah, some people will say that it's a bit classist and so forth, portraying Jazza, who should have had IT education when he was at school at Borchester Green, as somebody who just wants to be a a horny-handed son of the soil rather than sitting in an office. But the main thing out of all of that is I'm glad that Hannah is staying because I rather like Hannah as a character. Yes, I like her. She's always a bit feisty. She's always a bit edgy. I like her more and more in this manifestation of Hannah. Now, one thing about Jazza, one of the reasons that he wanted to, he decided to go for the job was about money. And it's about getting paid more, although he was going to be a cheap version of the inside unit office manager. I think he wanted to, and Tracy encouraged him to think that they could have a proper Christmas. It's all very well thinking, yeah, I can, I, I just want to carry on doing the job I love. But sometimes money is very important to a deciding factor. So he gave it a go and he was never going to do it. And it's all been, as you say, rounded up nicely. The other one thing I wanted to say about Witherspoon's call was somebody going with Jack. Now, Jack is seven or eight and he's used to going to school and there are social workers often involved with schools. And I personally don't think it should be someone from the family or even a family friend that should go with Jack to see Rob. It should be a professional or a social worker or somebody with from the service that the court, because I haven't got a court. There's a non-molestation order, but I'm not sure whether that comes with any personnel who would be responsible for keeping an eye on it, because obviously this would be counter to that order, which requires Rob to keep away. I think the, the problem there is that because Rob is such a narcissist, so manipulative, that if a hapless professional who didn't know anything about the the background went along they could easily get yeah, manipulated so. because they won't had a chance to to see what's going on so this is why I, I think that from a dramatic point of view i think that a a villager somebody that we know somebody who's had past experience of rob but isn't so hard over that they couldn't control themselves pat would be the worst possible person to be there helen would be the worst possible person but pat would probably be close yeah but closely followed by Pat. But Tony is quite an interesting thing, but I don't think because he wouldn't be emotionally removed enough to protect Jack. He would be in the conversation straight away. And what we want to see is a conversation between Jack and his father 
that helps Jack to move forward without damaging Jack. I don't think Tony's a good person either, so poor old Kirsty. Yes, Tony would either intervene or he would sit there clenched and fuming and generally making it Mm. impossible for Jack to relax. So, yeah, I I don't think Tony would be a good idea. Yeah, Kirsty or possibly Joy, she would be sensible and she would have no nonsense from them. Or Alan. That's true. Oh, Alan. Alan, maybe. Yeah, because he's obviously been... And the family wouldn't trust him, though. They wouldn't be very unhappy if Alan went because there's just this whole ridiculous hoo-ha of the fact that uh, Rob Titchener went to him for the baptism thing. Helen's taking that, okay. And it might be Alan's chance to redeem himself and get back in their good books and and get back onto the... get back the subscription from Peggy and Jill and Lillian. Yes, that's another story to be discussed at another time. Anyway, let's hear now from Tracy. Okay, Tracy from California here. So, first of all, the Grundies have a lot of nerve. I am floored by their attitude of entitlement. Like, that that land is not your land. It belongs to Oliver legally, and I, I understand ancestrally it's your land, but your grandfather lost it. Oliver was being real nice. At the very least, they should have been had a positive attitude and tried to like work with him and figure something out and talk through it instead of sniping at him. So yeah, that was a lot of nerve. Two, I know I complain about it all the time, but this child misbehavior, what? If I spoke to my parents the way Henry was speaking to Helen, excuse me, especially my mother, they would have to sharpen a putty knife to scrape me up off of the ground. There's no way. Children have to understand how to express their anger and their frustration in a manner that's respectful. And it's okay to create that constraint for them because that's not how the world works. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. But then Helen and her, well, it's what Jack wants and Jack wants it and Jack wants it. Are you kidding me? When I was a kid, I wanted a guitar, one of those guitar things you played like in the 80s. And I showed my father that thing for years. And he just looked at it and said, "Mm mm-hmm. Because I wasn't getting it. Because sometimes kids can't have what they want. And I know Rob and her father is not a keytar. But the point of the matter is, kids cannot just have everything they want. Sometimes they just have to deal with it. And if Helen had any sense, she would have just sat Jack down and been like, sweetie, I know it's hard to understand right now, but he is not a safe man to be around. He's not kind. He's not good like you. You came out good, but he was rotten. And we'll talk about it further later, but that's why you can't meet him. And then she just has to suck it up. But anyway, that's it. Well, thank you, Tracy. I love the way you say things and express yourself. Yeah, I think we've all we've already said quite a lot about the Gwendys and we agree with you. They're being entitled and rotten to Oliver. So Henry and his behaviour. Now, Henry 12, 13, he hasn't quite got into total adolescence but he's going towards that kind of sullenness and finding himself whereas yes it's not comfortable to listen to him being mean to his mum and being sharp with her but it's reality of that age I'm very lucky I didn't have many problems with adolescent tantrums and everything that because mine are all fairly silent just slam doors a lot but yeah I think maybe sometimes modern parents have a different point of view different way of looking and maybe their children will turn out better than us. I agree. My son was never really quite like that. He was always pretty quiet and well behaved. But I do see that Henry is obviously quite bright. He's also very observant and very perspicacious. He can see what's going on and he knows that Helen is getting stuff wrong. 
And I think he knows that she's not mm. really communicating. She's not being rational. And it's... Is she coping? Is he seeing that she isn't yeah, coping? Yeah, I, I don't so know that, to know. what extent that he has, who he has to <clears throat> compare her to. Obviously, there's Lee, who was, I think, much kinder, more indulgent to them. But that might be just getting towards spoiling him, which I think might be the sort of thing that Tracy has in mind in terms of the way he's behaving, that he's mm. become too spoilt yeah. as a result of being looked after by people other than his mother. And when his mother doesn't do the same thing, he gets frustrated, he gets angry, and he gets rude. So I can see where Tracy's coming from. I think that in Ambridge, look at George, look at Mia. They, they've both been quite gobby in different ways for better or for worse. Mm. And I, I think that it's, it's just the way children seem to be in the arches at the moment. Yeah, but in fact, it seems to her children seem to be in, in real life as well, to be honest. But now for our final one, which is from Catherine. Hi, everyone. Insomnia, middle of the night, Friday. I just listened to Friday nights with Helen. And as many people suggested, that her lure to Rob, her attraction to Rob, has not gone at all. And this has impacted on her, her binning off. Oh, God, her partner, what was he called? I can't remember, Lee, Lee already. This thing about whether to take her son Jack to meet his dad. What a load of nonsense. He's not a baby. He's seven. It's on his mind all the time. It's not. It was on his mind once at school. We all know this is a disaster. We all know Helen continues to make catastrophic decisions with regards to Rob, and it's only going to get worse. I thought I left a message last week about sons and the whole theme of people and their sons in the Archers. The fact that Alistair has got a son we never hear about, that Lillian's got a son we never hear about. And generally, that absolute misguided approach to sons, where they don't hear about them or they indulge them totally. And this is the classic example. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to say what has happened to A, the missing sons in the Archers, and why is Helen so stupid? Also, quick aside, mysterious land deals. So we had the land after Brian polluted that was sold off. And as far as I remember, they never found out who that was. The house they sold off, that we never found out who that was. And I wonder if this land here, our Oliver is selling off for the Grundies, another mysterious land deal. And I can see that they got off too many characters at once. But it's strange that so much happens that in the script is a big deal and then it's never finished. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you for that call, Catherine. Quite a few th points that you covered. On the land deals, we do know that Home Farm House was sold to a family called the Gills, and I believe that Kerry said that there had been a storyline lined up for the Gills, but unfortunately it was pruned when COVID came along and has not been reinstated, so we've never heard anything about the Gills. They just occupy Home Farm House quietly with Stella and Brian running the farm all around them. It does seem a bit odd, and there are all kinds of things that they could get involved in, but we just don't hear from them. On the sale of the land at Grange Farm, we did hear a suggestion from Tom that Bridge Farm bought the land. Mm. Now, this is an utterly bizarre idea, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's hard to tell from the maps exactly how far Bridge Farm land extends, but it's quite clear that there is land that previously belonged to Ambridge Farm, now owned by the estate, there is Red House Farm and there is Overton Farm, all of which lie between Bridge Farm and Grange Farm. So there is no way that you could get all the way from Bridge Farm to any part of Grange Farm over land owned by Bridge Farm. You'd have to go by road. And also, Grange Farm has never been organic. 
and it would take a number of years for it to be certified or organic for Bridge Farm to be able to grow produce on it. And if the land being sold is actually a barn with planning permission, then there's no way that Bridge Farm are going to be able to compete because it isn't going to <laughs> be value for money to buy that land for farming if it's got planning permission for housing. And so somebody will pay a good price, a, a non-viable agricultural price, in order to be able to develop the land. So that does seem a bit strange. It may well become a bit of a story, the fact that we've had that conversation. That's like a little bizarre remark from Tom. It wasn't, it wasn't from Tom, was it? It was Helen. And what I loved about oh, that, Helen. yeah, Helen said to, was talking to Emma and she said, well, maybe Tom will think that Bridge Farm could buy the land and uh, then at least you'd know the people who you were dealing with to be met by a little silence from Emma. Yes, because that made me really laugh out wouldn't loud. make much difference. The way Emma's been treated in recent weeks and they've seen how, she's seen how Fallon's been treated by the Bridge Farm lot. I think I love that little silence, very subtle. Yeah, there are some uh, interesting missing stories. Obviously, COVID affected the writing, as you say, with Kerry Davis had confirmed that story about the gills, which has never, never happened. Maybe it's in the pipeline for the, a future storyline. We shall see. We shall indeed. Catherine also, oh, complete and utter condolences on your insomnia. It's just terrible. Waking up at 2am every morning is just ridiculous. And I don't even think about the archers then. Is that what I call, Stephen? Those are all our calls. Jolly good. So thank you very much for calling in. And we absolutely do love hearing from you all. So don't forget to call in next week. Did we get any emails or WhatsApps this week? None this week, I'm afraid. Ha-ha. So we better move on to Facebook then. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the very lucky 13 new members of our Facebook group who are Ellis Mullally, Rachel Webb, Sophie Wales, Leslie Kay, Anne Armstrong, Tracy Lawrence, Sally Johnson, Rachel Thompson, Harry Scobie, Angie Dunhill, Sue Thurman, Maureen Wicks, and Matthew Elias. What has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Ben is here with his review. Nihao, it's Ben here, your window into the whirlwind world of the Dumpty Dum social media pages here in the heart of Shanghai. And let me tell you, the digital grapevine has been buzzing with the latest saga of the Grundy family. Our dear Oliver finds himself straddling the line between hero and villain. Given his latest treatment by the Grundy men, heroic Oliver, as some fans call him, believe he should drop a bombshell and give the Grundys the ultimate notice to pack their bags and leave Grange Farm once and for all. Our Williams notes that it's Oliver's farm and he's been too generous for too long, while Joanne Smith thinks 30 days is more than enough notice. But hold on to your hats because Guy Labrook sees a very different side. He unleashed a verbal storm accusing Oliver of being a penny pincher at Grey Gables, employing a cheap builder and using slave workers who blew up Linda and the hotel, which ultimately led to his breakdown. According to Guy, after years of Grundy hospitality, Oliver is nothing more than a cruel and vicious man. Drama, drama, drama. And then this week, there's also Emma, the unexpected peacemaker. Seemingly gaining newfound wisdom from her English literature GCSE, she's become quite the diplomat. Glynis Goodwill praised her education, perhaps in a tongue-in-cheek way, while others noted that despite Emma's flaws, she's a grafter, not a grifter. Sounds like Emma's turning over a new leaf, earning cheers from avid listeners who dubbed her as Marvellous, Susan Delamere, 
and even likened her to a real Carter, Chris Gibson. Now, switching gear to St. Stephen's, where there have been financial woes and intriguing discussions galore. This sparked an insightful sideways discussion about the real-life fiscal activities of the church, its traditions and ties. Angela Kelly shared that when selling her house 10 years ago, she found out that it had an old tie on it to pay for the local church roof. Talk about unexpected connections. Meanwhile, back in Ambridge, the Sunday service aftermath served up more than just prayers. Joy Horville, in her quest for forgotten gloves, humorously pointed out that she would have hated to have an altercation with Jill over her flower and produce show win. Oh, the one-liners just keep coming. Well, that's it for this week's social media roundup. Until next time, Tetian from Shanghai. Thank you, Ben. And thank you so much to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. I've refused at least four people this week for not answering those questions and at least one of whom sounded like they were a bot. Do we have any reviews this week? We do. We've got two five-star reviews. Hey, the first one is entitled A Highlight of the Week, five star. The best way to debrief each week after the goings on in Ambridge. And that's from EBS 110 via Apple Podcasts in the United States of America. And the second review is called Still Enjoy This Podcast. The hosts are always interesting and relatable. I love having a place to go and hear other people's perspectives on a show that I love. And that's from T.T. Brown, also five stars via Apple Podcasts and also from the United States. Ah, brilliant. Thanks for those reviews. Please keep them coming. Now, shall we move on to Twitter, where you'll find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy an Archers-based tweet. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. And I can be found at, at Wenlock House but I tend to spend far more time discussing the archers on Blue Sky, where I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. So let's find out who's won the Twitter medals this week from our Theo. Tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dumners everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter and Blue Sky, we've seen not a lot of sympathy for Helen, nor for the Grundies. A lot of people found themselves surprised to be agreeing with Emma, and loyal tweeter at Ninesy has been treating us to ancient photos of the cast from an old book about the archers. If you want to see who took the wedding photos for Shula and Mark Hebden, or what Susan looked like before she got her tabard, do take a look. Meanwhile, over on Blue Sky, we saw the archers topping the trending terms just ahead of Gaza on two successive days, with one of the days featuring Jazza on the trend list too. So, go Blue Sky. Now, here are my medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we're going to continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's Winston, Texas. 
at winstontexas.bsky.social. What if Joy starts baking for the boys who realise her cakes are better than Pat's? It's a pincer movement of Machiavellian brilliance, taking out Helen and Pat and gaining a new family for Joy in one fell swoop. Revolution without a shot fired. Brilliant stuff, Winston. And the silver medal goes to Miranda at Apple Android app. With the short and sweet, a pig manager in the spare bedroom in the bungalow is worth two in the bush. And the gold medal this week goes to Steffi Ede at Mum of Fat Cassie. Perhaps Helen's going to cut a deal with Rob that he can see Jack on condition he purchases a couple of wheels of Borchester Blue. <laughs> Sounds about right for Helen's reason at the moment. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. <laughs> Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to everybody who's mentioned there in this week's roundup. Now, don't forget, we're also on Instagram, at Dumpty Dum, which is also looked after by our Theo. And we will both be back again next week and we'll be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning. So please get your calls and messages in by midnight on Friday, UK time. As we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support the presenters in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dump community, you do make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sunny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents... Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to sharpen up our IT skills. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.